This Dharma Talk is brought to you by the Chicago Zen Meditation Community. Learn about us and our teacher, Miyoshi Thompson, at zenchicago.org. One of the features about both of these koans is, is that there are mystery guests in both of them. There are people being referred to, but it's unclear who those people are. So let's see if we can unpack that a bit as we discuss them. First one is um, case 94 from the Book of Serenity. And um, it uh, touches on the question of illness and health, which is something that I've been touching on, which is what, what drew me to it uh, initially. So here it is. Uh, it's about our great teacher, Dongshan. Dongshan was um, the person, the teacher in China, who is considered to be the founder of our school of Zen. So uh, this was towards the end of his, his life. When Dongchan was unwell, a monk asked, You are ill, teacher, but is there anyone who does not get ill? So this is almost a heretical question, right? Because teaching of Buddha is that aging, illness, and death is the fate of all beings, right? But this monk asks, you are ill, is there anyone who does not get ill? And Dongshan says, yes, there is. So that, <laughs> that was hot. Oh, oh stand up. <laughs> is there anyone who hasn't spilled a cup of tea? No. I spilled one in the middle of a Dharma talk in Sashima. So, 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 sorry. Do we have a. a I now? will find some. All right. Okay. If I can get out. Oh, yeah. Anush, are you comfortable sitting right there in front of that door? Um, There's a cushion over there, oh, yeah, if you prefer. You are ill, teacher, but is there anyone who does not get ill? And Dongshan said, yes, there is. And the monk asked, Does the one who is not ill look after you? That's the way we would normally think about things, right? There's someone who's well and someone who's ill. The person who's well looks after the person who's ill. Dongshan said, Actually, I have the opportunity to look after him. And the monk asked, How is it when you look after him? This was a persistent monk. <laughs> he really actually wanted to understand what was Dongshan talking about. So he asked, third question, How is it when you look after him? And Dongshan said, Then, I don't see that he has any illness. 
How is it when you look after him? Doctor says, I don't see. When I'm looking after him, I don't see that he has any illness. So, um, the question that I want to start us with is the question, who is the one that does not get ill? Let me just read it one more time. When Dongshan was unwell, a monk asked, You are ill, teacher, but is there anyone who does not get ill? Dongshan said, Yes, there is. And the monk said, Does the one who is not ill look after you? And Dongshan said, I had the opportunity to look after him. The monk said, how is it when you look after him? Dongshan said, then I don't see that he has any illness. So who is the one that does not get ill? It's gonna, what came to my mind was the one that's beyond birth and death. Okay. And uh, I guess like what I like mean by that is just uh, it's like we just we just saying happy birthday. Today, right. Right. And. But I think at some point you had mentioned this, like, oh, happy, it's like a happy continuation day. Happy continuation day, yes. Right. Uh, <laughs> like, even, like, birth and death are somewhat arbitrary. Yeah. Okay. doesn't yeah. feel that way. And, and so illness and wellness are arbitrary, too. Yeah, and they exist within the confines of birth and death. Yeah. So... What exists outside of that doesn't get ill. For them. And what is it that exists outside of birth and death? And I, my head goes to just like this flow. Uh, yeah. Maybe not these individual beings that we kind of mistakenly conceive of as we look around the room. But maybe something larger uh, that goes beyond the individuality of beings and therefore beyond the life and death of beings. Yeah. It kind of brings to mind, for me, you know, we're always going on about Buddha nature. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like the uncorruptibility of that sort of ability to wake up to whatever's happening in the moment so maybe you can be ill you can you can be strict in that you can be sick in a biological sense of the word but you can still be awake in that sickness and that awakeness goes beyond illness or health right yeah 
uh-huh. and possibly beyond birth and death. Okay. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Other thoughts? Nick, you had something. Similar to that, just like not viewing it, like the one who's not sick doesn't discriminate between wellness and sickness. The one who's not sick doesn't see the difference between wellness and sickness. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very good. Any other thoughts? Just Maybe the one who isn't ill doesn't leave any traces, doesn't make the moment gunky with, oh, what was me? This is terrible. It doesn't make things kind of sticky. I'd say that's a, a description of, of someone who is, is ill and is not processing it in the right way. Yeah, what was me is a pretty heavy trace, right? So, okay, yeah, so maybe the one who is not ill is not leaving traces like that. Maybe those traces are actually a sign of illness. Yeah, okay. I think it's, um, you know, the way the question is phrased, there is one who is not ill. It seems like it's saying that there is a person who is not ill. Or if not a person, then a oneness that can't be ill because it encompasses all dualities, illness, health, birth, death. Um, I'm going to say maybe it's not a being. Maybe the one that's not ill is the Dharma. Because Tongshan said, I have the opportunity to take, take care of him. Even when he's ill, kind of going uh, to what you were saying to him, even when he's ill, Dongshan can still practice. He can, and in practicing, he's taking care of the Dharma. He's really embodying it. He's passing it on to others. So the monk has asked, does the one who is not ill look after you? Dongshan says, I have the opportunity to look after him. Even in my illness, I can care for the Dharma. How is it when you look after him? When I look after him, I don't see that he has any illness. Well, let's unpack that a bit. First of all, let's ask the question, how do we take care of the Dharma? Now, this is a question that, that everyone should try to answer. <laughs> because your job is to take care of the Dharma. So, how do we take care of the Dharma? Continuous practice. Okay. Sure. Continu- especially the continuous part of that. We take care of the Dharma by embodying it. We take care of the Dharma by realizing it and actualizing it in our lives. In illness and health. Okay. Other thoughts? I think similar to what Brad just said, like the continuous aspect is just it I think like the Dharma is like manifesting itself in every moment, in every form, in every aspect. So 
these things that in a certain sense might be undesirable mm-hmm. are also like the truth mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. like they're also uh, yeah so I, I, I know, so I'm just maybe trying to see it it's like taking care of it like, like but, mindfulness and it's sure. like a pure form of Really, like just being open to. So, Dong is saying that he takes care of the Dharma. Let's just say that that's the one who is not ill. That he takes care of the Dharma. There's an actual uh, uh, activity that he engages in that he takes care of the Dharma. I, I like what you're saying that the Dharma is always available and always present. But this is kind of suggesting it depends on our activity. Yeah. And it, Sorry, I think if you think of our field of consciousness, yeah. if we are really narrow it and turn and you know close it down and get lost in fantasies and just whatever's like you've killed the dharma in that moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. But when you're like open to it and actually trying to see it and actually completely engage with it, then that's nurturing. Like, sure. we, we, there's a choice, right? Sure. Um, the Dharma is not about closing down. So if we were to see our lives only in terms of uh, dualities, there's illness and there's health, that's it, you know, then that really wouldn't be taking care of the Dharma. Dharma asks us to go beyond those ideas, like the Heart Sutra asks us to go beyond the ideas of individual beings. Dharma asks us to go beyond those ideas, to see see the whole form. Okay. Um, perhaps also the how we take care of the Dharma by allowing the Dharma to take care of us. Okay. Sure. You want to say more about that? Um, well, I'm just thinking in terms of the, the transmission of it, of it from person to person over time. And um, um, that in the idea of no self, that um, in some ways we grow out of the Dharma if we don't allow that to, um, in some ways, become us, then. There's something about going beyond what we think of as the Dharma, kind of continuous. That's what you're talking about, about continuous practice. And we know from our practice that the Dharma takes care of us because we experience it when we practice. Like a neutral saying, we could get lost in all kinds of ideas. But if we remember our practice, we immediately are, are being taken care of by our practice. All, all the things that are generating our fears, you know, we see them for what they are. Stories and thoughts. Jim? Kind of connecting back to two of our past discussions, it seems like possibly the best way to take care of the Dharma or like take care of the truth is uh, simply to avoid sort of uh, 
taking part in ignorance or fueling ignorance. You know, we, we had that talk in here a couple of weeks ago about how ignorance is the root of mm-hmm. the chain mm-hmm. that leads to sure. craving and all of that. Avijja. Avijja, right. Uh, and so in some way it seems like to take care of the Dharma is simply to not engage or to not take care of ignorance in a way. <laughs> you know, to not because how many times are we like we willfully ignore like we know we're like we know we're avoiding something and yeah. we're just we're content with that. Yeah. Until okay. it bites us. Okay. Sometimes we actually have a choice. Yeah. Do I want to take care of my ignorance or do I want to take care of my the truth. Uh, yeah. Truth. You know. Yeah. And then to sort of jump back a little bit, um, what you said right before how um the, the one that's not ill sort of look, looking at it instead of a person who's not ill but as sort of like the ultimate oneness who's not ill you know the last time we, we met and we talked you know we talked a lot about the health issue and um, we sort we talked for a minute then about how um, the idea of like wrong cells or mm-hmm. like bad like illness mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. context yeah. it's almost like well there's no there's no way it's wrong it's perfectly okay it's, and it's just the, it's the way it is it's exactly as natural as health so it's exactly so mm-hmm. it's like I, I think that that's a key sort of thing there it's from that perspective there is no illness everything is exactly the way it should be yeah okay All right. uh-huh. there's what no deviation from that from the way things should be right yeah okay cool so um When I look after him, after the Dharma, I do it by embodying his practice. In fact, even, even when you think about the way that sentence is put together, I look after him. Like, he looks first, and then I look after him. You know, I look in the same way that he looks. I see through the same eyes that he sees through. I see through Dharma eyes. And when I do that, I'm taking care of the Dharma. And maybe there's other ways to look after the Dharma, too. So this brings me to the second koan that I want to talk about. And this koan is uh, referred to as uh, the single atom. This is case 34 in, uh, in uh, Blue Cliff Record and case uh, 61 in the Book of... I'm sorry, 34 in the uh, Book of Serenity and 61 in the Blue Cliff Record. So this is Feng Shui's single atom. And Feng Shui... Uh, Functionally, it was the name of a mountain in which there was a temple, on which there was a temple. And so the teacher of that temple is referred to by the mountain name. So the mountain Feng Shui in China, teacher is called Feng Shui. A quick stupid question. Is this like Feng Shui, like the, how you move things around the room? I don't know. Is, is, this, is it related? I don't know if it has any relationship to that. Okay. It sounds like it. It does sound like it. It does sound like it. I just don't know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, Feng Shui said, If a single atom is set up, the nation flourishes. 
and the peasants frown. If you do not set up a single atom, the nation perishes, but the peasants rest easy. Let's just stop with that. Does that make any sense? Could you read it again? Yeah. Sure. If a single atom is set up, the nation flourishes, but the peasants frown. If you do not set up a single atom, the nation perishes, but the peasants rest easy. So what does it mean to set up an atom? Or sometimes it's said, uh, uh, if you set up a single atom of dust. Yeah? And so I remember it being referred to as dust. Like something with this similar, but there's another one that, or another translation maybe? That yeah, sure, there's find? different, right, exactly. Okay. That, that's kind of my question. Is I wonder if there's like an alternate tr translation for that word set up, because it seems to hinge on that. Uh, in both the translations, uh, in both the uh, instances of this koan, set up is, is the uh, phrase that's used. Yeah, it seems pivotal. Yeah. What does it mean to set up an atom of dust? Well, it means to separate one thing from everything else, right? Here's, here's the wholeness of everything, right? Which everything is interrelated with everything else. But if I were to pick out an atom and set it up, it would be to separate it from the whole. To separate this atom. And of course, if I were to do anything in the world, I would have to do that. Any activity I would take is an activity between me and you, or me and whatever it is, right? Uh, so to set up a single atom of dust means to actually do something. And the koan says, if we do that, the nation flourishes, but the peasants frown. If we don't set up a single atom of, du of dust, the nation perishes. Well, so we can see that. If we don't do anything, if we aren't active in the world, the nation perishes. It decays. Right? But the peasants then are happy. In fact, what one Part of the commentary says, uh, the old peasants come out and they sing hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think of our Chinese peasants singing hallelujah, but that's the, how it gets translated. Just the old ones. Just the old ones, yeah, the old peasants. Yeah. I'm tempted to think of it as in the sense of like, you know, like we draw, we draw national boundaries and we in a way that's like obviously that's just a concept there's no such you know there's no such actual thing as like a border yeah. around a, na sure. a nation sure except when there's a wall sure but even then <laughs> it's just a bunch of rocks yeah. you know right. um, and so and maybe you could look at it too in the sense that with peasants perhaps like the, the the notion of being a peasant of being like socioeconomically limited in that way 
that's also kind of conceptual in the, in, the, in the way that like they fit into a larger sort of sure idealized social structure so sure. I wonder if it has anything to do with the sort of like when we take something out of the whole, it's dependent upon some sort of like conceptual structure or some sort of like ideation. And then without that, without the, without the differentiation, there's also no need for the concepts, which destroys the idea of the nation and oh. then maybe liberates the, those who are burdened by um, oppressive concepts. True. So the peasants, they, they're kind of rejoicing when, when the nation is not flourishing. It's interesting. So, kind of saying, you know, some people just want to be left alone. Yeah. They don't want to be caught up in building nations and ministers and generals and armies and that kind of stuff. Maybe the peasants are happy when they just leave them alone. In fact, one of the commentaries says, uh, um, you should know that in front of the old peasants' gates, no ordinances are posted. That's a nice law. It's like, in front of their gates, they're not too interested in the laws of the land. No ordinances are posted on their gates. You know, they have their, their own dharma. They have their own practice. That kind of transcends nations, like Tim was saying. Yeah? It's interesting because I think in either end, right, the way the Quran set up, something bad happens. <laughs> yeah. Right? Something good. Either the peasants are frowning and the nation is flourishing, or, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I just think in the first one, it's like, okay, conceptually, when we live in a conceptual world, right, we can build things. But there's just generally, like, there's suffering in it, right? There's, like, striving happening, right, to build a nation, to build bridges, to do all this work that we do, there's suffering. It's a result of it, but it might be worthwhile suffering, right? Yeah. I mean, but then it's like, okay, but when the Adam is not created, then you like the peasants like rejoice because I can see when you put that to rest, like the peasants. I don't know how this is set up, but peasants are generally viewed as like the most miserable, <laughs> like physically mm -hmm. and like socioeconomically. <laughs> but it's like mm -hmm. even the peasants, if we can like stop this, like separation of this conceptualization there's joy that's the okay. lowest rungs of society okay you know okay and initially I did think it's like oh like, so anyway so when we have an atom or we can go build, we can go do things we can have careers we can have jobs we can like excel in whatever field we're doing but just to know that that is difficult yeah. there's like there's going to be some stress and suffering you, you know, um, there's an interesting point in this, too, and that is, well, who are these peasants anyway, <laughs> right? Uh, um, in the first koan, we thought um, that, uh, you know, there was the issue of the one who is not ill. That was the mystery guest in that koan. You know, we had to figure out who is the one who is not ill. In this koan, I, I think the peasant is the mystery guest. You know, part of the task for us is to figure out who really is this peasant who smiles when uh, we're not setting up an atom of dust and who frowns when we are, who smiles when we drop all of our activity and who frowns when we take it up. Yeah. 
My answer is to hell with the Dharma. <laughs> to hell with the Dharma. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> well, I mean, as we pointed out, it's setting up um, irreconcilable or mutually exclusive categories that you know both, both end in uh, disappointment or, or disintegration in some sense. Um, but um, you know, the Dharma can reconcile that the in, in some way. But if we get too attached to that, you know, then. You know, we're trying to put the Dharma in, in um, uh, um, we, you know, we shouldn't get too attached to that either. Okay. Um, All right. Well, let me focus this question. Who are these peasants? Well, I take it as us. Yeah. Us? Oh, that's interesting. And, okay, that's cool. And, like, just anybody, I think anybody who's reading it, like, it's... But don't we want the nation to flourish? No. Well, but in that same vein, as I also thought of it as us, because we are at the whims and the the mercy of actions. Uh huh. Okay. Actions taken by other people, actions taken by ourselves. So are the peasants. Yeah. 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 They're, they're the ones that. Well, he's the leader now. Now he's not the leader. Now it's someone else, and they have new rules. Somebody decides to have a war. It's the peasants who right. get drafted. Right. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, like, I, I, I absolutely, like, if I was diagnosed with cancer, right, yes. like, I would be panicking, like, I would be upset, yes. and I also have to acknowledge that. It's not about, like, ignoring it. So we're both the nation and the peasant, mm-hmm. uh, just, like, we're sick and not sick uh, in that way, because we have, to, we have to sort of recognize both sides of that and take care of it, rather than sort of like, oh, the nation, right? Uh-huh. We're, we're the peasants. Uh-huh. Uh, th- that doesn't work either. <laughs> okay. But these peasants are frowning. <laughs> these peasants are frowning if we're taking care of the nation. Yes? I think I'm taking this um, like some of the other teachings that we've had about the absolute and the relative, uh, where turning away and touching are both wrong. If you say something, that no. misses the mark. If you don't say something, that's also not quite, that you can't, it's it's not one thing or the other. It's not the one or the many. There's something about both at once. Um, the peasants are the nation. Peasants aren't the nation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But the peasants have definite ideas about <laughs> what's what here, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The flourishing nation uh, makes us frown. The, the nation that doesn't flourish, we sing hallelujah. They seem to be going more for, like, the individuality there rather than the whole. Who would tell us to, to not pick up an atom of dust? Who would tell us that? I feel like the peasants are our internal states. I mean, the nation is jazz and... Peasants are sub-jazz. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sub-jazz. <laughs> sub-jazz. <laughs> I don't know, because whenever there is a, a, any type of relative transaction, it doesn't yep. matter if it's good or bad. The, the peasants have some sort of reaction. They're, they're, they're riled up. They, they, they feel great or they, they feel bad or they're, they're, they're pulled in one way or the other. How could there not be? Because that's the definition of kind of relative interactions out in the world. So when you separate out an atom and make that, put that transaction in, in, into being, they're, they're, they're riled up, but otherwise they're, they're at peace and they're 
free to go about their, their own devices. Riled up or at peace. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, let me put it this way. Um, who, let's stay with this. Who would tell us not to put up an atom of dust? And when I ask myself that question, I think uh, we should cease all involvements and relinquish all affairs. Hmm. That's a very familiar instruction from one of our great ancestors, Dogen, and it's an instruction for Zazen. How do we practice? We cease all of our involvements and we relinquish our affairs. That means we don't bring up atoms of dust. In fact, in our Zazen, what do we do? We, we kind of let the dust settle. <laughs> right? So, I find myself wondering, these peasants, could they be our ancestors? Could they be our ancestral teachers who told us, you know, things like Dogen said, um, sit and just sit, don't do anything else. Well, does the nation flourish if we don't do anything else? Mm, probably, actually. It may. <laughs> it, may, it may well. It may well. But, uh, you know, bridges don't get built, let's put it that way. Uh, Streets don't get repaired if we don't bring up an atom of dust. But there is this practice that we have that's been passed on to us, which is really a practice of uh, not engaging in the activity of doing so much as the activity of being with all beings. So I'm not saying that this is right, but I think one way to think about this is that these peasants are our ancestral teachers, who are very happy when we sit zazen and don't raise too much dust. But when we do, even though the nation might be flourishing, they kind of have a frown. Did they, these guys forget what practice is all about? I'm not sure, because it, it looks a lot like grasping. It looks a lot like greed, right? But maybe not, but still, they have a little bit of worry <laughs> when they, they look at us and they see us busy with the world. But, the way we talked about uh, taking care of one who is not ill, doing the practice of one who is not ill, I think we also have to think about maybe the broader idea of how do we actually do the work of the ancestors. Clearly, Koan is saying, well, we do the work of the ancestors by not taking up an atom of dust. But listen to this. So this was the verse um, that Zhuidu uh, wrote uh, at, to um, explain this, uh, this koan. Mm -hmm. He said, the old peasants may not unfurrow their brows, but for now, I hope that the nation establishes a sturdy foundation. Crafty ministers, valiant generals, where are they now? Boy, we could say that, couldn't we? For now, I wish the nation would establish 
a sturdy foundation. And where are the crafty ministers and the valiant generals when we need them? Shwedu says, 10,000 miles of pure wind, only I know. So I think this verse adds another layer to this, to the koan. The koan says something about our practice is the practice of laying down the dust, not picking it up. But Chuidu, when he writes his verse, says, still, in this moment, it would be great if the nation would flourish. For, the, the old peasants may not like it. The ancestral teachers may not be happy with us. But for now, I hope the nation establishes a sturdy foundation. Uh, you know, so I think drawing this uh, distinction between laying down, I mean, uh, uh, holding up an atom and laying down an atom, uh, makes us think about, okay, well, what do we have to do really to take care of the Dharma? Well, we definitely have to lay down these atoms of dust, right? Because this is our great practice of Zazen. But we also have to make sure, Shuidu says at the end, that the nation flourishes. Or maybe we could say we have to make sure that the Dharma flourishes too, and that takes activity. Yes, we can sit still, and we put a certain energy out into the world. We let everyone in the world who notices us sitting still know it's possible to do this. It's possible to uh, relinquish our daily affairs and instead to just be present, to be completely here, just sitting. And the fact of doing that, right, of laying down the dust, does have an effect on others. But we also have to raise the dust. There are things that we have to accomplish. So in these temples, there were lots of monks who were, you know, spending lots of time in Zazen. They were laying down the atom of dust. But also, there were monks who were cooking the rice. There were monks who were fixing the roof when it leaked, right? There were monks who were cleaning the toilets. You know, there was a lot of atoms of dust that had to be raised in order for those monks who are, who, who are our ancestors to practice. And so I think one approach to this, if you put these two together, I'm not sure they're, they're meant to go together, but if you put these two together, how do you take care of the one who is not ill? How do we take care of the Dharma? Is we both have to lay down the dust and pick it up. We have to engage in this practice of relinquishing our affairs, and we also have to take on the responsibility of protecting the Dharma. We do it, of course, in our practice, but we do it when we set up the cushions. We do it in inviting people to join us. Brought a friend today. So, so this was raising an atom of dust for your friend. Hope it didn't get into your eyes too badly. <laughs> raising an atom of dust, but, but this is 
the kind of thing we do if the Dharma is going to survive. We have to make this effort to bring it out into the world. Anujbra Morgan, second time. So the same. Yeah. Uh, Mary brought flowers. All these efforts had to be made in order for the Dharma to live tonight. The old peasants may not unfurl their brows, but for now, I hope that the nation establishes a sturdy foundation. The old teachers may, may want us to do zazen all the time, but also they had to want us to build temples and ordain priests and do all those things in the world. Crafty ministers, valiant generals, where are they now? 10,000 miles of pure wind, only I know. You know that last line almost seems to be out of sync with the earlier ones, right? I want to establish a firm foundation for the nation. But then the last line, 10,000 miles of wind, only I know, kind of gets out of the world of doing and duality, almost into the world of undifferentiation or, or unity. But, but there's an interesting comment about that last line. And this is, the commentator says, to this only I know thing. Well, if there's no one by your side, who will you have sweep the ground? He said, don't be another cloud-dwelling monk. Uh, cloud -dwe cloud no, cloud-dwelling saint. <laughs> so, you know, we could be cloud, cloud boy, say that fast. Cloud-dwelling, cloud-dwelling saints you know, and just sit and, and not care about any of the things that actually have to be done in the world, right? We could be cloud-dwelling saints. But the commentator says, don't get lost in that. You still have to cook the rice. You still have to do the laundry. You still have to fix the roof. Ah, okay. Thank you for a good discussion. Everybody has so many ideas. 